This is London Calling. You are listening to Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another global podcast of Thought and Leaders. As you know, I scour this beautiful, magnificent, elegant planet of ours to find the most inspiring, the most interesting, and the most, how can I put it, the the, the kind of people who will get you to pause for just a second in your really busy lives and just think. And one of the greatest thinkers that I've come across is this gentleman. His name is Rabbi Joseph Dweck. Hello, Rabbi. Jonathan, pleasure to be with you. Thank you for having me. Uh, It's an absolute privilege, actually, Rabbi, to have you here. And uh, what a beautiful, beautiful time of the year, Rabbi. Hey, it's coming up to Hanukkah. Especially unique this year, I would say. Just in case anyone is living in a cave in deeper Zambia or something, (laughs) just give us a brief elevator pitch on yourself. I'm the senior rabbi of the Spanish and Portuguese Sephardi community here in the United Kingdom, which is the oldest Jewish community in the country. They arrived here in 1656 and have been here ever since. It's a great honor for me to be able to lead the community. And in that capacity, there are other things that I'm involved with in terms of you know, education here and interfaith work. So I'm a president of the Council of Christians and Jews. Uh, together with the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Chief Rabbi. I also am the Deputy Head of the London School of Jewish Studies. Mm-hmm. And I uh, you know, I also have work that I do in the rest of Europe on the Conference of European Rabbis. I'm a member of the Standing Committee there, which is essentially a group of the Chief Rabbis of Europe that deal with Jewish life in the continent and, and here on, on the island. Wow. For overseas listeners, we have Bevy Smart Synagogue, don't we? Bebis Marks is one of our synagogues. It's our oldest synagogue. It was built in 1701. Wow. And it is nestled in the city of London. Mm. It is still lit by candlelight, and it has not closed its doors, essentially, since uh, it first opened them over 300 years ago. So it is the oldest continuously used synagogue in the world. Unfortunately, the only time that we actually had to ask people not to come was during COVID. But uh, Rabbi Shalom Morris, who's the rabbi of the synagogue, had maintained vigil during the time and kept prayers going to try and keep our record. The Spanish and Portuguese congregation is an amazing congregation. And of course, they've got the Holland Park and you've got Lauderdale Road. These are all amazing places. In terms of the COVID stuff and the announcement of the new Tier 2 for London, I'm talking about. And of course, there are other areas in the UK. But for London, only because you mentioned those particular synagogues, it is a bit confusing in terms of who can go to pray. We can attend synagogue. And we can hold communal services, but we have to maintain very careful social distancing. Masks have to be worn inside, you know, proper sanitizing of hands and so on. The difficulty is that we can't have 
full synagogue en masse as we would like to and we normally are used to. That, of course, affects tremendously happy occasions and celebrations like bar and bat mitzvahs and weddings. And it also sadly affects um you know, the, the, the times of bereavement. So uh, shivas and things of that nature really have to happen on Zoom or in very small groups. We are in a very interesting time of the year, which is called Hanukkah. Do you want to tell people what that's about? Well, Hanukkah is a commemoration of Jewish events that occurred in the second century BCE, essentially during a time when the Greek Empire was in control of modern-day Israel. The Jewish people at that time were faced with tremendous challenge because Antiochus was the Greek emperor at the time, and he had essentially set out a decree that there should be no real expression of Jewish life, that essentially everyone should live as Greeks in Greek culture and to conform. So when in Greece do as the Grecians do. And we do live in a world, Rabbi, where people are required to kind of not make too many waves. There is definitely an element in our modern culture and where it is challenging to speak with an individual voice and not conform to the general consensus, uh, whether it be in politics or whether it be in religion or whether it be in you know social settings. Uh, the, you know, the story of Hanukkah, I would say, was a bit different in that this was a governmental decree that was imposed with punishing and, and armies. So it was tremendously oppressive. The, the problem, however, was that Greek culture was extremely attractive to a large number of the Jewish population. Mm. We've been around for a while and we had interactions with many nations but the Greeks really threw us for a loop because other nations did not come to us with an entire system of thought that was basically an examination of reality intact. They basically presented to us an entire system of living and reality that rivaled our own. We had not really known another nation that was like us in that way. It was very confusing. So we essentially went into an identity crisis. And there were huge numbers of Jews that were just leaving the fold becoming, you know, part of Greek culture, what we would call Hellenized Jews. And so what happened was there was an element of the people that were quite concerned of this, members of the priestly family, the, the Maccabee, the Hasmonean family, they launched a rebellion against the Greek army and actually won. Mm -hmm. And do you think that today, especially with science, that would be the equivalent of the Hellenistic times in terms of this is the enlightened way of doing things? It can sometimes be a challenge to Judaism. It is absolutely essential that Judaism is able to respond and be malleable to the development of time, life, reality. We have not survived over 4,000 years of history by just fluke. You know, I mean, it's been our capacity to respond. Things are changing so rapidly that paradigms are shifting, that entire worlds are moving into new modes of living, that it is 
a challenge very similar, if not more, than the one that we faced in the second century with the Greeks, BC. And do you think that because of these challenges, in terms of Judaism, it is becoming even more divisive than it used to be? So you're going to get some people who will look at the text and they will give a certain interpretation, whereas another lot will look at the text and say, no, this this interpretation must be as it always was. And so you get this conflict going on. Well, I think there was always conflict among the Jewish people, and there were always many ways of seeing things, whether it was the way that we looked at the Bible, the way that we studied, the way that we dealt with issues. The difference today is that there is really no or very little unifying factor. It's one thing to argue and to have dissenting opinions and differences when you are living together as a nation on a land and the nature of national identity is prominent. Today, that's not the case. We're very grateful and thankful to what I would call the miracle of the state of Israel. But the reality is, is that the Jewish people still live all over the globe. The Jewish people do not have a central unifying structure, governance among them. There are elements that kind of unify us, history that unifies us, parts of identity that unify us, but we struggle with unity. So we've always celebrated question. I always say we are people that prefer questions that can't be answered to answers that can't be questioned, Mm. which means that we love questions. We love exploration. We love challenge. We love even argument when it's for the sake of trying to discover a nuance, an element of truth. I was speaking recently to the former Bishop of Oxford. Whatever the religion, there's always been some politics. Unity oftentimes is wrongly thought to mean homogeneity. Mm. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know, in Hebrew, the word for peace is shalom. Mm. And shalom comes from the word shalem in Hebrew, which means whole. And what we're looking for in peace, in unity, is wholeness. Wholeness does not mean that we all have to conform. What it means is that we have to recognize and respect the uniqueness of our brothers and sisters, of the people who share Mm. uh, our nation and the world, for that matter. It's a question of harmony more than homogeneity, how it is that we find the various colors and textures of the people to come together in a vast and beautiful tapestry. And I know that sounds lofty and quite idealistic, but mm. it is possible if the will is there, if the the drive and recognition of its value is there. And it's really important that we spend time to think about that. And that, interestingly, actually does have a great deal to do with Hanukkah. In what way? Hanukkah was a time where we had an internal identity crisis. You know, who were we? What type of nation were we? Did we want to fight for who we were as a nation, or did we want to conform and dissipate into Greek society? And what that essentially did is that raised a mirror to us, to ourselves, Mm. and it forced us to answer a question, can you, within your people, answer the Greek questions? How do you answer Socrates' question of living the best moral life? How do you answer the question of the Greeks in terms of of looking at and praising physical beauty? Is there such a thing among the Jewish people? Mm. 
And what that made us do was look into our own ideals, philosophies, our own histories, and question, well, maybe, you know, I don't see those things in my family, but what about my neighbor's family down the road? What about my cousins? What about my ancestors? Are those things within my people? And essentially what that meant was on Hanukkah, we had to embrace aspects of the nation that we perhaps prior to that weren't necessarily welcoming or embracing. I'll give you a specific example that goes very deep, you know, I mean, and and this is an element that has run through our people for all time, Mm -hmm. the children of Jacob. And of course, everybody knows the story of Joseph and his brothers. Right. Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was a man who had a tremendous creativity. Joseph was a man whose father knew you get this kid a, a, a new suit rather than get him, you know, a gift certificate to a bookstore or something. And his brothers had tremendous trouble with that because the brothers felt that, look, we cannot afford the creativity, openness, uh, dreamlike life. We have to be pragmatic. We should live lives that are more insular rather than lives that are embracing society. Remember that Joseph becomes the face of Egypt while still maintaining his personal identity. So how do we live? Do we live like Joseph or do we live like Judah, who insisted that we needed to maintain you know, isolation and keep to ourselves in a world? And Hanukkah had to address those things. How do you answer the Greeks? Do you use Joseph's philosophy or Judah's philosophy? But there are people that would take from the Judah as opposed to the Joseph point of view. They would say, but we've got to protect our heritage, spiritual birthright, and not become, you know, (laughs) consorts to the king or to the pharaoh or whoever it might be. We've got to stick to our own. There are toxins in this world on many levels that we have to be concerned with. What I would say, however, is that we must be extremely careful not to cut our nose to spite our face. Yeah. What our forefather Jacob teaches is the world is an expression of God. It is not an elaborate distraction. Mm. To know God, which is a command that we must fulfill, we must engage and study and embrace the world that he created. Because it's the only way that we can know God, Jonathan. Mm. We cannot know God in his essence, in his very nature. We can only know God in terms of how it is that he's expressed himself to us. And the world is his expression. And that, by the way, you know, you've asked me about my community or my congregation, the Sephardic Jews overwhelmingly have always lived that way. Mm -hmm. We have always been involved in society. We have always engaged in art and culture along with science and medicine and, and things of that nature. We have embraced the humanities and the sciences. And we have done all of that because we believe that it is through those things that we come to know the creator who made those things. We must recognize that as we embrace this world, there are toxins and we have to be wary of those things and know who it is that we are. But at the same time, we cannot shun the world. We must study it if we are to have a close connection to the creator who made it. This has been, Rabbi, a hell of a year in terms of toxins. <laughs> certainly has. It has it. We've had a plague. To say the least. Uh, yeah, to say the least. So, you know, <laughs> really, God, what's up, man? What's, what's the point of this? The prophets also said, really? <laughs> when they were talking to God. <laughs> but uh, so at least there's tradition for that. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But at least in the Jewish tradition, we, you know, our prophets always tended to question God's motives and ways. Right. But there is one beautiful line in the prophets that I think is important for us to remember. 
And that also comes with a reminder of humility, which, which is also important for us to remember. Mm. God says to the Jewish people in Hebrew, Lo my ways are not your ways. And in a certain level, in terms of our own humility, and when I say humility, I don't mean meekness, and I don't mean unquestioning subservience. What I mean is to recognize who we are in this universe, not more and not less. That is humility. Humility is knowing who you are, not more and not less. And we must recognize that if we do believe in God, that God has a perspective that we do not and that the world will come into its own in ways that we may very well not anticipate and for that matter not understand. And it is okay not to understand all of the ways of God. I, I ask you, Jonathan, if you were asked to be inserted into any moment or time in history, not to visit, to be inserted there, is there a time that you would choose to live in over and above our own? Uh, the likelihood is that we might like to see it, but to stay there, not so much. We do recognize on a certain level that the world is moving into greater, better, more developed places. In order to see that, you often have to pan out. You have to step back and look at history as a whole, rather than looking at the local moment in which we find ourselves. That helps us to understand, A, hope is valuable and meaningful, because if we are to look at how history has gone, things have overwhelmingly gotten better. And we are indeed living, compared to the rest of history, in the best time yet. Mm. And so it's important in the middle of the struggles to remember that things will get better, but also to remember that what we might see as being all dark is not necessarily all dark, and that even darkness is necessary in our world in order to be able to create definition, to create clarity, uh, form, and space. As much as we've struggled and found difficulty, there are things that have come out of this time that have helped us and taught us, if nothing else, to be with ourselves. You know, we found it extremely difficult to keep to ourselves, which is something to pay attention to. And being with ourselves in solitude, in whatever level we found ourselves, mm has certainly taught us, A, how it is that we're able to do that. Do we have trouble doing that? Should we look at being able to do that in a better way? Have we learned anything about ourselves during this time? Yeah. People have come to very profound awarenesses, uh, discoveries, developments of self during this time that they otherwise would never have come to because of the distractions or the just the hustle and bustle of life. Mm. Magnified, sanctified, be thy holy name. Vilified in the human frame. A million candles burning for the help that never came. You want it darker. I'm ready, my lord. You were talking about the idea of light and darkness and indeed coalescence, if you wish, of that with hope. Hanukkah, from literally a light point of view, it's about hope, isn't it? It is about a flame of hope in the darkness. Absolutely. And it is remarkable, as people have pointed out throughout history, how much light one flame can give in the darkness. There's a quote that has been attributed to many uh, but nonetheless, that says, instead of cursing the dark, 
light a flame, be the light in the darkness. And so that very much is at the heart of the meaning and message of Hanukkah. And it's something that the Jewish people have lived by. It is in no small part one of the core elements that have allowed for our people to survive through the darkest and most difficult of times. I mean, what have we not seen, Jonathan? Mm. What have we not gone through? And we've done it with our hands tied behind our backs, oftentimes burned by the fires of the world. Uh, That small light of Hanukkah means very much to our people because it teaches us a core ideal that in the darkness, always light a light rather than curse it. And it's to find, I guess, it's to find that light within ourselves. Very much. You were talking about the idea of isolation and learning to live with ourselves. You work in terms of interfaiths. When people look at the Jewish people in the year 2020, and of course, we're about to go into the year 2021, do you think that people are thinking, is this still as relevant as it was back then? Of course, people are asking that question. The question of the relevance of what it means to be Jewish in this world. Should I rather just move into being a citizen of the world rather than a, you know, a specific, unique, ethnic, national member of it? It concerns me because that goes back to the question of homogeneity. This is not a uniform world. Uh, It's the wrong way to go to pretend or to forget one's unique identity as an attempt to integrate into broader society or the world at large. The question is, how do I move as I am in the identity that I hold? with the world and its direction. And that's something that, for me, is at the core of everything that I teach and share, you know, from my position. And I believe that the Jewish people have, like I said, gone through over 3,000 years of history. And although we've suffered casualty, we have come out uh, intact. Uh, I don't think that that goes away today. I don't think that that what has survived for so long simply dissipates because of where it is that the world is now. The challenge for the leaders of the Jewish people is to help and teach as to exactly how that can happen and what ways that can happen. What's more important, to be a man or to be a Jew? To be a Jew is to be a human, first and foremost. The Torah, the the Jewish Bible, does not start with the Jewish story, it starts with the human story. And the story develops into more and more uniqueness. So to be a Jewish person but forget one's humanity or forget that one is, you know, a member of the human race is a terrible mistake. But at the same time, to forget that one is a unique member of that human race is just as problematic and it lacks faithfulness. Looking ahead to 2021, What would the message you'd like to give people out there? We must remember that we are a social species. We thrive in our coming together and cooperation. It may take us a bit of time to get used to that again, but we should not be complacent. We should come together as communities. We should, once again, come together in aggregate. It's like Newton's law, that an object at rest tends to stay at rest. We need to muster up a bit of energy to be able to engage in motion in that direction again. That is one thing. The other thing I would say is, let us not forget the lessons that we did learn during lockdown. 
the things that we did discover about ourselves, the time that we took for things that we otherwise would not have had time for or not have made time for, family time, personal time, relationships. I even think, and the people uh, may or may not agree with, I even think that the fact that we are doing things digitally, remotely, online, borders have been erased. Geographical limitations have been erased. And I do believe that we should take some of that with us when we come out. We should make sure that we are maintaining those connections, mm. those interactions that we otherwise would not have done simply because it wasn't part of our repertoire in, in our everyday lives. A lot of people, when they think of the Jewish people, they correlate it with this idea of a lot of family stuff and, you know, everyone getting together with parents, children, grandparents and, and all the rest of it. This year, for those people who can't get together with anyone, who are going to be alone, that person who's going to be lighting the Hanukkah, which is the uh, candelabra, I suppose, is there a message of hope that you can give those people? It is important to make the effort to reach out. And so, you know, I personally will doing will be doing candle lightings on Zoom and online with people in Israel. I'll be doing candle lightings with people in the United States. It's important to make the effort to reach out. So even though we may be physically isolated and on our own, it doesn't mean that we have to be disconnected. Effort should be made to connect. And I would say to people that are not alone, think of who is alone around you. Think of who might be lighting candles on their own, in their flat, in their house, by themselves, and reach out to them. Absolutely. And include them in the celebration of this beautiful uh, festival. Beautiful. Well, look, thank you so much, Rabbi, for uh, taking the time. I know that this is an incredibly busy time for you, this period of the year with Hanukkah and so much going on, and, of course, dealing with this COVID stuff. So I thank you very much. Jonathan, it's been an honor and pleasure. Thank you for having me on. And I'm going to play us out with a Spanish and Portuguese tune thinking about 2021. And that tune is Baruch Haba, sung in context of welcoming the new year. Leaders is a goodbye production. If you're looking for award-winning content for your brand or want to chat about the show, you can either email reinventatme.com, that's reinventatme.com, or why not visit us at www.thoughtandleaders.com, that's thoughtandleaders.com. <laughs>